Somebody's going to ask, what's socket to me Sunday? <laughs> Has everything to do with Brenda. Not my Brenda, but Dale's Brenda. My wife was listening to her talk uh, not long ago that one of the needs among children in the elementary school is socks. And uh, Brenda, that brought back memories of ministry we were before here where uh, one of the women who worked in the local school district came, Sandy Edmondson, Brenda, came to us and said, you know, I had a little boy in my class today, he's about eight years old, and he had a pair of lace anklets on. So we started a sock ministry. Well, here's how it works for you. It's really fun, actually. You may have seen it. It's been around. It's nothing new. We get all the socks we can in here on that particular Sunday, and we divide them out all among you. So you all got socks. And then while the kids are up here, all the little ones, we say, hey, this is Sock Sunday. Time to sock it to me. And everybody starts throwing their socks in the air. And it'll make a real nice YouTube scene as well as everything and let the little ones pick up the socks and we'll have to make sure the fans aren't going too hard that, that morning or we'll have confetti with the socks, but it's really, really cute. And then if we've got enough to take care of the needs for Sharon, we'll, well, not if we will, we will. Then we'll move to where Jolene teaches and provide socks over there. You wouldn't think socks would be important, would you? They in the world we live in. But they really are. I hope I can convey to you this morning in a few minutes what's on my heart. My heart was manifested when Donna testified this morning. That type of thing takes place out a little farther than most church people are familiar with. We're all comfortable with going to church and singing the songs, listening to the preacher and listening to the message and doing the things that we do all the time. But there's another area out there, another area that's a little bit frightening sometimes that takes us beyond our capability. Now, if you hang with me, you'll understand that a little bit. I am firmly convinced that the Lord is all the time trying to pull us out into an area of Christian living where we are going to attempt to do something that we can't do on our own. We're so accustomed in the Western mindset to make sure that we keep our parameters safely around us so whatever our plans are, we can pull it off. If we can pull it off, we don't need God. It's when we can't pull it off that we need God. Alan, I remember listening to Vessel Goodman talk about how many times they'd had problems on the bus or whatever they were and they were pulling in, they were in front of several thousand people. They didn't have time to do a playlist. They all know what that problem is. And they walked on stage in front of 3,000 people and nobody, nobody knew what they were going to sing or play. Not a soul. <laughs> None of the instrumentalists knew it, and none of the Goodman family knew it. But they prayed on the way from stepping off the bucks to the stage, Lord, you've got to take over. 
and Vestal said, she said, Brother Don, that moment when all of us hit the same song, the same note, the same place, was frightening. Because we were in an area where we were out of control. Donna is able to testify in front of us this morning because the Lord has ushered her into an area where she's out of control. And most people don't like to go there because we are, we are so bound and bent that we can take care of it. We can do it. We can pay our bills. We can make sure the car keeps running. But it's when, Donna, that Lord gets us out there into a point and he says to us, all right, big boy, you can't do it without me, but good luck. Give it a shot. Call me when you blew the whole thing completely. So what I want to do is I want to, I want to walk very carefully this morning and very quickly through uh, several verses of Scripture. And if, if you've got a Bible and you want to stay with me on the thing, uh, you can trust me. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. It, it's, uh, I'm going to tell you the truth. But I'll read four or five verses scattered out over about 40 different verses in 2 Kings chapter 2, 3, and 4. And then I'll go back and tell the story because the story is so good. The story actually has about four or five parts to it. But in each case, it shows what happens when you and I allow the Lord to take us out into an area where we don't know what we're doing. I used to love to ice skate. Uh, and I hate to admit it, maybe it was a little bit risque, maybe it was a little bit of a man thing, but we guys used to love to skate out to where the ice was thinner than where we should be and ask the Lord to thicken the eyes or help us keep from going down. Now I know I'm not talking about that type of faith. I'm talking about serving a God that when we get out into an area that we don't know what we're gonna do, he has a chance. And if you allow yourself to get out there once in a while, allow your dreams to be bigger than you can do. Don't ever dream big enough for yourself. Don't ever do that. You rob yourself of the magnificence of having God arrive on the scene and, and do something extraordinary. I'd be reading out of Second uh, Kings chapter 2. And he said, bring me, um, uh, verse, verse 20. He said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. <laughs> it's kind of stupid. You can buy a bowl at Walmart. You can buy salt at Kroger's. Pardon my English, but there's nothing, there ain't nothing great about salt in the bowl. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast the salt in there and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed the water from it, and there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day, according to the word of the prophet. Now, why did he do that? Because they had told Elisha earlier, this is a beautiful country. This is kind of like Gatlinburg in the fall. Everybody likes, but the water ain't worth a nickel here. Do something about it. So Elisha just said, well, stop by Walmart, Kroger's, and pick me up a bowl and a little salt. Threw it in. That's a little bit beyond typical. And then Elisha goes on and walks on. 
Now, I like the next part because it used to fascinate me a little boy. I love bear. My wife and I are dying to see a bear while we're here. Hopefully, we're able to stay here long enough to see a bear. <laughs> there are no bears back in our part. What? You got a bear at your place? Where do you live at? Excuse me, folks. I'll be right back. Okay. All right. All right. We're looking for bear. Bring trash. What? Bring trash. Honey, we can come up with trash. So. There ain't nothing we can do. We can come up with trash. No problem. So Elisha walks on. And then the Bible, King James says there were a bunch of boys came out. Really, it's a bad translation because it was really men, probably 25 to 30 years old. And a whole bunch of them began to make fun of him because he was bald-headed. Now we know what Elisha a little bit looked like. Now, in the Middle East then and the Middle East now, for a man not to have a full head of hair is, I don't want to say a disgrace, but it's, an, it's a hindrance. <laughs> Alan, you'd be in big trouble in the Middle East. right? Uh, they'd be praying for you every day. Anyway, and they were making fun of him, and, and these boys were saying to Elisha, Ah, oh, go up, Baldy. Go away, Baldy. Go up. That just means just go ahead and die. And Elijah turns around. I love this. Elisha turns around, and he curses them. They don't mean he called them four-letter words. No, they don't, that don't mean it at all. He put a curse on them, and the Bible says, Two female bear, from wherever you live, I guess, <laughs> ran out and mauled 42 of the little boys. Now, that's a little bit beyond normal. It's surely 42 boys, somebody could get away from two female bears. I don't know. So that's the second thing. It's a little bit beyond the normal, Donna. A little bit beyond the normal. When they diagnosed Donna, a lot of people in the medical profession said it's probably not going to work, but it did. That takes it a little bit beyond. And you know what I like about it? There is no such thing as the God of the Old Testament or the God of the New Testament. There is no such thing as the God of the Middle Ages, the God of North America or South America. There's no such thing as a Pentecostal, Charismatic, Liberal, Methodist, Baptist, Nazarene, or Tangerine God. He's God. He's just God. How do I know that? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 said that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's not up to my knowledge to understand. I love what the young lady sang this morning. That was cool. This is kind of fun for a man my age to use the word cool. <laughs> but it was cool. So then all of a sudden the scene changes. and I, in, in chapter 3 it said, Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king. Now I don't want this to sound like a history lesson. I love history if it's right, but if it's boring, I hate it. And the Bible, quite frankly, truthfully, can become boring when it comes to history. There can be, you ought to hear, we got, we've got well-educated, trained adult people in our Wednesday night Bible study. Their sharp old fogies have been around a long time. They've read it all. You ought to hear them pronounce the Old Testament names. It's funny. I never saw such pronunciation in my life come out. Dale looked out last week because the man ahead of him got his verse. And Dale was in a 
he was in a complete sweat because as we were, you know, you, you, you ever do that in school? You count real quickly which verse is mine, and you want to make sure that you look real cool when it gets to you. So when it got to Dale, there was about 25 names in there that God couldn't even pronounce. And the man ahead of him, Cecil, Cecil's not here, Cecil read Dale's verse. And Dale said, praise the Lord for Cecil. <laughs> I ain't lying, that's true. Now here's the story. Jehoram was his name. I can't imagine anybody name a little boy Jehoram. But Jehoram was his name. His mom and dad were Ahab and Jezebel. And I, I'll tell you the story now. And the Bible says that Jehoram wasn't worth a nickel. It's kind of like that. But his mom and dad were terrible, and he was just about as bad. Now, a funny thing happened. He was king over Israel, and there was another king who had a name just about as bad as his, Jehoshaphat. He worked at the dairy bar, Dairy Queen, in the... Uh, you still working there? Smart girl, smart girl. Anyway, Jehoshaphat was king over Judah. And the funny thing about the king over Israel, here's what he did. He had worked out a relationship, and what you need to do is slide names away. Put Donald Trump or Barack Obama in there, you can. Put China in there in the United States or Europe, you can do that too. Slide those names because the very same thing that was going on then was going on now. Republican and Democrat. Liberal and conservative. CNN and Fox. Anderson Coopy and Sean Hannity. All the same. All the same. Well, here's what had happened. The king of Edom, not the king of Edom, but the king of Moab, the Moabites, had an arrangement with Israel where, and I don't know what it was, it was some sort of a trade agreement, much like today, where every year he paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and 100 thousand skins from rams. Now, I'm an old farm boy. We used to have sheep. You know why I love preaching here? Because you don't expect me to be Tom Cool. You don't expect me to be smart, because I aren't. You don't expect me to try to give you all this theology that nobody in the room knows but me. I don't know it any more than you do. You let me be me. I'm a farm boy. And we were taught on the farm, the best thing to do if you're a shepherd or a farmer is take care of the sheep. If you feed the sheep, they don't need you to make wool, they'll make wool. I remember an old man who headed us on the farm. He said, boys, just take care of the sow and the boar and take care if you don't, they don't have pigs. They don't need you to have pigs. They'll work it out. Feed the cattle because they'll produce the milk. Take care of the chickens. They'll produce eggs. Feed and love the flock. That's you. You'll produce. <laughs> Evangelism is easy if we preachers get out of the way. So the king of Israel, which is Jehoram, contacted the king of Judah, which was Jehoshaphat, and he said, this Looney Tune over here won't pay us and we need to go get him. And they said, we'll go with you. You know what a hundred thousand lamb skims weigh? A good sheep will produce about 30 pounds of wool a year. 
100,000 wool. That, that figures out about 3 million pounds, about 15,000 tons of wool. He said, I ain't going to do it no more. And the two kings got together and they went through the land of Edom and picked up the king of Edom. Now we got three kings coming against the Moab. Enter this guy called God. Oh, I love this. Nobody knows where Elisha was, and, and they get out there, and they're running out of water. And I'm trying to tell you, where do you go out to a little farther where you've got to let God do it? I love that, and, and if this church would not do it, I guarantee you we have a house in Ohio to go back to. Because the church needs to keep moving out. We need to keep moving into areas where we're not familiar with. We need to get out of our comfort zone and get into an area where we don't know one thing we're doing and we can cry out to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I can't do it. We got to have your help. And he says, I'm glad you asked. So they were without a water. And I like it, Jehoshaphat, who knew the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, said to the other king, who really didn't care for him, the king of Israel, that's kind of strange anyway, that's oxymoronic, he said, surely there's a man of God here somewhere that we can ask for some advice from. And a little boy who was a servant of the other king said, Elisha lives here. Let's call him. I like Elisha. He's transparent. Elisha arrives on the scene and he says to Jehoram, I don't like you. And if it were you, I wouldn't give you a time of day. But I like Jehoshaphat. Therefore, here's what you need to do. You, you need to dig ditches out here in this valley. And, and he said, you will not hear wind and you will not see rain. But water will come. That's healing, Donna. You will not figure it out. Chemotherapy will not figure it out. Radiation will not figure it out. But there's a power that's higher than. We're going to pray for this lady right here. In a few minutes, that God will touch her life because she's got heart problems. I got the oil in my pocket. We're going to do it. Maybe you might need to do the same thing. So sure enough, they believe God and they got out there and, and they dug all these ditches out there. And the next morning, when they all got up, they were all full of water. Wow. That's what I'm talking about. Water from no sources. You didn't figure it out. You get to the bottom of your checkbook and there's no money there, and God sends money. You get to the end of your, of your rope and you don't know what to do, and God sends help. Now, let me, intermission, intermission. Tonight we're going to talk about, a little bit, a little farther out, we're going to talk about the, the modern way that churches are doing church, and it'll frighten you. So if you don't want to be frightened, stay home. Watch whoever's on television. I read this week, Ryan and I were talking about this week. If you go on Google right now and simply type in, uh, type in uh, social media and the church, there are 200 million articles and books written about it because all of a sudden the church is coming alive. Now you know when most people in the church are online or when they're dealing with Facebook and Instagram and all the things I have in their life. Do you know when they're really in the technological age? They're, they're in the church and today is in the technological age at, at 9 o'clock on Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So when we finish, Alice, at 8 o'clock or whatever on Wednesday and go home, somewhere out there, almost like a church underground, is the social media church is coming a lot. 
So Moab got up and they got all ready to go to war against the king of Edom and the king of Israel and the king of Judah. And when they looked out, now here's where the guys my age and older, you fellows can relate to. Remember that old saying, red sky at night, sailors delight, red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. I'll show you where it came from right now. I want you to go home and learn something today. Here's where it came from. Moab got out and they looked over this valley and, and the way the sun was casting over the water made the water look blood red and they thought those three kings have messed up and it's friendly fire and they've turned on each other and they, the place is filled with blood. Let's go get the spoils. Red in the morning, take warning. Red at night, take light. So they marched right down and made a major assault on Israel, and Israel decimated. And God told Elijah, Elisha, you tell them to go follow Moab and, and close up the wells, throw rocks all over the field, and devastate and take everything. Now, put in any name you want there. Don't let that be history. All I'm saying, God is pulling them out there and putting water where there's no water. He puts healing where there is no healing. He puts money where there is no money. He puts life where there is no life. He puts answers to things that we have no answers to. I need to tell a story. Andrew, relate to this. Did you watch Steve Furtick this week a little? You did not. Steve Furtick's one of my favorite preachers. I know a lot of people don't like him because he's contemporary. He's in Charlotte, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. He told an interesting story about him and his wife being on vacation with the kids. And they came into this little restaurant area and the girl recognized him. He's popular across the younger generation now and the older generation too. And, and, and the young girl got all excited and said, oh my goodness, it's Steve Ferdy, can I have your autograph? And he said, I'm just going on vacation. I've got my wife and kids. I want your autograph. So he, he said, all right, I, if that's what you want. And he gave her the autograph, bought a couple cookies and stuff for his kids and went and sat down. And here she came with a whole plate of everything sweet. He said, my kids were sugared out over the hill. They were having the time of their life. <clears throat> and she said, I called my pastor. And my pastor said, try to check and see if he might possibly come and speak to our little church, little tiny church. He's got thousands and thousands and thousands in whatever churches they got, several of them. So he said, I, I went to the phone, and, and he said, I, I can't, can't do this. So he said, I went to the phone, I called my office and checked with a girl who does the scheduling about a certain place I had to go, and he said, she said, there's been a call here this morning, and the pastor of that large church said, we had to make a change in directions because the men who were going to come can't come, and they had to cancel the whole thing, so you got a free night that night, and it just happened to be the night that that woman asked him to come speak to their little old tiny church. Oh, he's a famous man. He said, I sat down and wept. I told my wife, he said, you know, I'm going to learn to listen to the Lord one of these days. And he said, I stand every week in front of thousands and thousands and thousands of people, but nothing has touched me anymore than when the Lord took me outside of my comfort zone and put me in a little tiny church where there were just a handful of people. Doesn't always mean bigger. It just sometimes means better. So the story's good and everything worked out fine there. And there's one other thing that I need to share. That's in chapter 4, which happens to be one of my wife's favorite, if not her favorite chapters in the Bible. 
Elisha is approached by a woman who happens to be the wife of one of the sons of the prophets. Her husband has died. She's a widow. They're broke, they have no money. And the creditors are come to take her two sons and put them into a slavery situation. Her world has gone to the pot. And Elisha says to her, what have you got in your house? She said, all I've got in my house, guys, is a little bottle of oil. Just a little bit. And what Elisha does makes, doesn't make any sense. When I look back over my life, Brenda would tell you the very same thing. When the things that we have done in our life that the Lord had a chance to bless, we simply went out there and tried something scared to death. And he arrived on the scene. So Elisha says, I'll tell you what you do. Send those boys out and gather up all the vessels. You know the story as well as I did. And put them in there. And like what he says, he said, once you get all those vessels in there that are empty, here's what I want you to do. Shut the door. All of a sudden, that took me to Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into the closet. And when you have shut the door, Pray to the Father in secret, and the Father who hears in secret shall reward you openly. Do you wonder what the neighbors thought? I wonder what Donna's friends thought when she said, you know, it's terminal. I wonder what they think now when she says, I'm cancer free. How do you tell somebody when I was broke yesterday and didn't have enough money to pay anything and all of a sudden God did something that was beyond. He, he allowed me to go out into an area that I've never been before. Let me tell you something. I didn't learn that in the Christian church. I didn't learn that in the high church. I didn't learn that with a bunch of college degrees. I learned that by running around with a bunch of old Pentecostal preachers in the inner city of Cincinnati who had never graduated from the fourth grade but they knew what it was when the Shekinah glory of God fell and the power of of Almighty God and the Holy Spirit arrived and it was just like a day of Pentecost. Pow! Something happened that blew everybody away and you had to walk away saying, wow! Wow. There's something anemic about you and I when we walk out the door this morning and Donna's testimony doesn't do something to us. You know where that belongs? In the paper. Oh, there's somebody out there right now who no longer trusts the church. They no longer trust religious people. They've heard all of our yada yada. But if they could hear from somebody what God would do. <laughs> I just wonder how she felt, guys, when she took that little, little, little bit of oil. And, and the language in the, in, the, in the scripture there refers to a tiny, tiny bottle. And she starts pouring into all these other things. And all of a sudden, everything. Where did they all come from? I don't know. Yeah, I do. It came from an uncertain source. It came from an undisclosed source. And it said when everything was full of oil and it was about to run over on the floor, the oil stopped. Wonder what she said. And then Elisha says, I'll tell you what you do. Pay your creditors. Take a week and go to Gatlinburg. That's not in your Bible, but it should be. Have a good time. 
it'll work out. You know what? If we could find 150 or 200 people who would just a half a dozen times be willing to bind together and walk out into the unknown, what we would see would blow your mind. Would blow your mind. They listened to the voice of the prophet. I, I, not long ago, in fact, when Billy Graham died, I heard something and I didn't know. That when 911 occurred in New York City, you know we had closed airspace nationwide. We were shut down. No airlines were allowed in the air. But one. One small plane. Some of you probably didn't know that. One small plane was allowed to fly from the Carolinas to Washington, D.C. with F-16s on every wing. You know why? Because Billy Graham was allowed to be on that plane. They want somebody to tell them what in the world are we going to do? We have the most powerful military on the earth. We're the grandest nation ever to inhabit civilization. What are we going to do? We need someone to pray with us. Let's pray. Father, forgive me first. Before I'd ever ask you to forgive a soul in this room, forgive me first. Forgive me for seeking comfort areas and a place to sit down when I should stand, a place to be quiet when I should speak. Forgive me, Father, for seeking an easy way rather than enduring the thorns. Now I include them. Forgive us all, Father, for being afraid. Walk out a little farther. Go down a little deeper. Trust a little more. And believe in you. Forgive us, Father, for boxing you up and putting you in places and saying we're going to drag you off when we need you. And when we can do it on our own, you just stay up there and leave us alone because we know that's what you'll do and we don't want you to do that. We want you to be a part of our life. And Father, if you have to pull us out into an area where we are scared to death, it's okay. Don't let us settle for the easy road. I pray right now, Father, if there's any man, woman, or young person here who's never accepted you, that you would, you would nudge them, that they would. And I pray, Father, that if anyone is carrying an illness or a disease or something inside of them that they are aware of and they're scared to death, that they'll let us pray for them. And we'll honor and glorify you. In Jesus' name.